missing children for children's church since ages four through first grade. Head out this north door with Mr. and Mrs. Holty. So kids, I pray that you know that Christ was born for you as well. If we've not met, I'm Nathan Brand. I have the privilege to be the senior pastor here. And we're glad you're here to worship with us. And uh, we're continuing a series through the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. You know, um, the viewpoint of time past and life lived is a great clarifier of perspective and value. Let me say that again. The viewpoint of time past and life lived is a great clarifier of perspective and value. Here's an example. You know, when I was a small child, the perspective of time was different. It seemed like it took forever for Christmas to get here. When you're in the first grade and you're singing all these songs about hurry up Christmas, hurry up Christmas, every day is like a year. It feels like that. I had a conversation with Neil's daughter, Rosie, mid, it was mid-November. Uh, and we were talking, and I said, Hey, Rosie, how many days do you think it's until Christmas? Oh, 100 or 200. I said, it feels like that, doesn't it? But now that I'm almost 58, it's like, holy cow, we're in December already? perspective has totally changed where I'm at in life. And I think sometimes when I look back on my life, I look back on some of the things that I struggled with as a, as a youth or even as a young man, wondering about how things were going to play out. Whether that had to do about where my life was going, was I going to get married one day, my education, finances, all the things I thought were such a big deal at the time. They seem like a big deal. I wish I could almost travel back in time and speak to a younger Nathan Brand and say, you know what? It's going to be okay. I want you to know that God is going to be faithful to you. He's going to meet you in all these trials and carry you through them. He's faithful now, and he'll be faithful then. I wish I could tell that. I wish I could have that perspective. It would, it would make me not worry so much. And, you know, because of those things, when those trials come, I'm not saying I, I, I face them perfectly, but I have that perspective to know that God will meet me and have those tools to deal with those things. God is still faithful, and whatever I'm going through, whatever you're going through, this too will pass. He wants to give us a perspective that it's going to be okay. Today we're in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, so if you have your Bibles there, you might want to open it up. The Apostle Paul wants to give this young church in Corinth some perspective, and us as well. On one hand, this battle-tested apostle, pastor, wants them to understand that following Christ does not exempt you from trials, does not exempt you from troubles or adversity. You may face persecution or hardships, personal attack. You will go through human frailty, personal tragedy, 
and the decay of this world. And perhaps, sometimes, we're identifying more with the death of Christ than we are with his life. But he also wants to give an eternal perspective that if you are in Christ, even though these trials are very real, they're temporary. They are temporary. And what is to come in the glory of our resurrection will make these current troubles seem like they are insignificant and fleeting. And certainly worth the cost. So let's pick it up here at verse 8 of chapter 4. I'm sorry, did I say chapter 5? Did I say chapter 1? Anyway, we're at verse 8, chapter 4. Okay? Here we go. The Apostle Paul saying to the, the Corinthians, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus to present us with you to himself. And all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, eternal. Let's pray, and then we'll dig into this treasure of a passage. Lord Jesus, indeed, you have said, in this world we will have trouble, but we can take heart that you have overcome the world. And you want to show us today how you are with us in the midst of trials. So open the eyes of our heart to see that. And again, Lord, if there's somebody in this room does does not know you, who has not put their faith in you, would you open his eyes, would you open her eyes, that they might receive the gift that Eric talked about of life in you. We pray you do that for your, for your glory and because of your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, last week we were at the beginning of this chapter, which starts out, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And it is easy sometimes to lose heart. It's easy to lose heart because things are not turning out like we hoped they would. Maybe people are not responding how we hoped they would to the gospel, to God's word. And sometimes it makes us want to quit. Maybe even, sometimes, even forsake our faith. 
And there's a reminder that this all started with God. He's the one who has given us this ministry, and we need to be dependent upon him in proclaiming his word faithfully and not, not distorting it, to proclaim him and not ourselves, and to know that God is the one who opens the eyes of people to the gospel. And be praying for that, because Satan is the one who blinds people from seeing the glory of Jesus Christ. But then at the very end, there's this, this truth, this power that is in us. Verse 7, this treasure in jars of, jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, what God is doing in us and through us begins with God, it ends with God, and he's the one who sustains us, and he's the one who brings it to his ends, even, even through trials, even when it seems like the world may be against you see, this young church was hoping that their newfound faith would maybe exempt them from trials, exempt them from tribulation, let alone the trials that they may face because of their faith. But again, Jesus would say to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So Paul even, even points to his own life, what he's experiencing as an apostle, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And he wants to give them perspective that they need to face the adversity of this life, the troubles that come their way and come our way at times. So number one, in Jesus, we can take the blows that come our way. Back to verses 8 and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Let's take those four clauses, okay? Hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Look, if you're a follower of Christ, you are going to feel the pressure at times. It's going to be all around you. Maybe you feel like it's coming from all sides. The promise there is that you will not be overwhelmed by the pressure. That you will stay the course as you look to him. Perplexed, but not in despair. That is grace to walk in the unknown. Because sometimes things are going to happen in your life, and you're going to go, what? <laughs> what is this all about? What is God doing? Can any good even come of this? And the answer is yes, but you might not see it. You might not know how God is going to bring about his good end. What do you think the disciples thought when they saw Jesus nailed to the cross? It is the ability to walk in the unknown to, as we often maybe quote every once in a while, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, to not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. It's like, God, I don't understand what your hand is doing, but I trust your heart. 
I trust where you're taking this. So we're perplexed. We say, I I don't get it. But we're not in despair like then there can't be a solution. No. Our God is bigger than what we can figure out. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Sometimes someone or something is coming for us. They have it out for us. Whether it's because of our faith or because of something else. But Jesus says, even in that, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're not going to face this alone. You're not going to be abandoned. I'm there with you in the midst of this. Oftentimes we're asking Jesus to take us out of those things. He says, no, I'm going to take you through them. But I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And struck down, but not destroyed. Maybe something comes our way that seems like a knockout blow. But to uh, borrow a phrase from yesteryear in advertising, it's like a Timex watch. It takes a licking and keeps on ticking. You see, again, something's going to come our way, and again, it seems like a knockout blow. And yet, in Christ, we're still there. We're still standing. And even if it does put us in the arms of Jesus, we're not leaving this world one second earlier than God has ordained. It's the, it's the truth of Romans uh, 14.8. Uh, that whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. He has us. We do not live to ourselves. We do not die to ourselves. We are the Lord's. And he has us. He has us. Now, I want to say, you know, it'd be really easy to, to make this just a Christian platitude. Like, you know, tough times don't last, tough people do. No. You and I have feet of clay. We're all breakable. But it goes back to the truth of verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The truth is, this is an opportunity to trust God to do in us what you and I cannot do ourselves by His Holy Spirit, by His power. You know, over and over in history, there have been attempts by society, by even perhaps demonic forces behind that to wipe out Christianity, to wipe out the Word, to wipe out the Gospel, with all these things coming Christians' way. And yet, Christ and His Word, His people, still remain. Because we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We overcome them by looking to Christ. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Corey Ten Boom, a book written called The Hiding Place. She and her father and her sister hid Jews in Holland during the World War II, and the Nazis came. 
They were hiding God's Old Testament people because they were being exterminated. They were doing what they thought God called them to do. And then they were betrayed, arrested, and actually were given an out. And they said, no, we're, we're staying true to what we've said we're going to do. And they get separated and thrown into a concentration camp. Corey and her sister Betsy will never see their father, who is aged and eventually dies. They're holding on to Christ and through that. And it is a horrific place. They're being abused, they're being enslaved, they're being beaten. One of the saving graces for them is one point that their, their barracks are so flea-infested that the, the guards won't even come in there because they don't want to get the fleas on them. And so it saves them from abuse. And Betsy, who is seeming to see all that God is doing here, who says these things like, we are crushed. I mean, we're, we're, we're pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. She has this eternal perspective all throughout it. And Corey's going, what is God doing? And eventually the Lord brings Betsy home. And Corey is there. But she is left with her faith in Christ. And eventually, by a clerical error, she is released. She is released. She has had, she's been in the pressure cooker. And she has a choice as she walks out of that prison to either be filled with bitterness and anger against her oppressors, against God, or to be Christ's agent of mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And God uses her mightily. I don't think we realize how divided our world was after World War II, where hate had reigned for so long, and the, pre- the peace of Christ needed somehow to manifest itself. As Corey preached the forgiveness of Christ. And the real test came one day when a former guard of that same concentration camp came to her and said, Fräulein, I'm one of the guards who was in the prison. And she knew exactly who he was. How he had abused his sister Betsy. He says, I put my faith in Christ. He says, I've come to, I've come to ask your forgiveness. And she knew at that moment she needed to make a choice. Her flesh and her sense of vengeance or Christ. And she says, I forgive you, dear brother. That is only what Christ can do. That is only what Christ can do. And I will tell you, that woman's life has been a balm of the gospel to a sin-sick, hurting world. And her life still speaks it today. So you and I, we may feel the pressure. But through Christ, we can not be crushed. There may be moments where we feel perplexed. Like, what is God doing? But we can trust in Him through faith in Christ. That He works all things for the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes.
we can feel like we're persecuted, but we're not abandoned knowing He is with us. And we may be struck down, but we're never destroyed. We are in God's hands. This is the faith that Paul is trying to bring, the perspective he's trying to bring to God's people, both then and now, to us. But you see, Him who died for us on the cross, He calls us daily to take up our cross and follow Him. That means a death to self. So number two, in Jesus, when we identify with His death, His life is revealed. Verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death that is at work in us, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. You know, in following Jesus and making the gospel known, it cost the Apostle Paul something. And we'll get to chapter 10 of this letter, and here's a small catalog of those things. Floggings, prison, being stoned, beat with rods, shipwrecked, constantly on the move, danger from bandits, danger from his own countrymen, danger from Gentiles. And he labored hard into the night. He experienced hunger, thirst, and even exposure. What did it feel like to the Apostle Paul? It felt like death. It felt like death. But you see, in this weakened, humbled, God-dependent state, even as the Apostle Paul identifies with Jesus in his self-sacrificing death, it's there that the life of Jesus and his power is revealed and was revealed in Paul. Again, verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, the character of Christ can only be revealed and bear fruit when we will die to ourselves and let him live his life in me. Let him live his life in you. It's the truth of what Paul said to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. It's his life in me. And here's the truth, my brothers and sisters. In following Christ, there are going to be multiple times you're going to be called to die to yourself. It may be major things, it may be minor things. But you're going to be called to die to yourself, to your own desires, to your own will. to your dreams, your hopes. Because God has something better He wants to do 
in you dying and revealing his life through you. It may be at work. It may be at school. It may be in the marketplace. Where you feel like you're dying. Something that Jesus might live in that arena. And I'm going to tell you somewhere where it's going to happen all the time. It's in your household. It's between husband and wife. Between siblings. Between parent and child. There are going to be moments where you need to die to yourself. Because grace begins at home. That means you don't give in, that's not saying you give in willy-nilly and do whatever the other person wants, but it means there are moments where you have to choose the other person instead of your own desire. Because grace needs to start there in the house. Identifying with Jesus in his death opens the door for his life to be revealed in us. And I can't tell you how it all works. It's a bit of a mystery. It really is. But we're putting ourselves in a place where Jesus lives his life through us. That's what it is. It's a decision of faith. Saying, Lord, I'm going to die to myself. Now do something in me that I cannot do. Again, it's giving us Christ's perspective and Christ's power. Now, if this passage seems like a downer so far, and I don't mean John Downer, things take an uptick here. In Jesus, the Spirit writes the hope of the resurrection in us. Verse 13. It is written... I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have, let me try that again. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now, verses 13 and 14 are a bit tricky. Because it starts out saying, It is written, therefore I believed, I I believe, therefore I have spoken. What Paul is quoting right there is Psalm 116, verse 10, the very beginning, and it is the Septuagint that he's, he's quoting. I'm I'm going someplace with this. I'm not trying to be a Bible nerd here on you, okay? But you have to understand what is the context of that verse. It is a scripture of affliction and adversity. Let me read it for you in the NIV uh, 1984. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay I said, all men are liars. And all women said, Amen. Just see if you're listening. I am greatly afflicted, and in my dismay I said, all men are liars. Paul is 
is identifying with the distress that the psalmist is going through. Okay? So let me put it in a context that maybe we would understand. Many of us are familiar with the 23rd Psalm, right? So if I say to you, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a good amount of you would know what I'm saying. I'm going through an afflicted time. I'm going something through very hard, and it might even, even be life-threatening. It might not. But it feels like death. But you understand what I'm saying. This is what Paul is doing using this verse. Okay? I'm experiencing adversity. So he employs it for this purpose. But here's the thing. It starts out talking about adversity, but then it resolves itself in salvation. It starts out talking about adversity, but it resolves itself in salvation. It goes on in verses uh, 12 through 13. I mean, it changes, changes the, the, the page very quickly. It says, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. All of a sudden, he has gone from affliction to celebrating the, the salvation he has in the Lord. And kind of being, let's go back to um, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here's how it resolves itself. I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's a promise of deliverance there. This is where Paul's going in using this psalm. Okay? So Paul implies the opening words of faith, and even affliction. I, I believe, therefore I said, but he's pointing to a greater salvation that's to come, spoken to us in our hearts, brought on by the reality of the Holy Spirit. Continue on, verse. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with him, present us with you to himself. So much I could unpack from that. But here's what I want to ground us in today. If you are in Christ, because Jesus is risen from the dead, so shall you be raised from the dead. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, so shall you and I who are in Christ be raised from the dead. It is a done deal. It is a guarantee. And the Holy Spirit speaks that into our heart, like almost like it's Scripture written. And it is, right here in front of us. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in his first letter, the 15th chapter, which is all about the resurrection. And Jesus himself, in John eleven twenty five, says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. So we don't need to live in fear of the troubles of this life. Because the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with him, with you to himself. 
It's a guarantee. It's a done deal. But I like that last phrase. And present us with you to himself. You see, it's not just the relief from the trials of this life. It's coming to the wedding altar. That moment when we, the people of God, will come as his holy bride before our holy bridegroom. It won't just be, glad that's over. It'll be, finally. Jesus, who I have worshipped and known by the Holy Spirit, I will now see you face to face. Be in your presence, and I will know as I am fully known. Be presented in His presence. What an amazing, beautiful thought. But are we cultivating that heart and that attitude, that perspective now? That as the psalmist would say in Psalm 63, your love is better than life. Jesus, I look forward to that day when I am with you face to face. Not just because the trials of this life is over, but because I am now in your presence. Fullness of joy. What a beautiful thought. And here's the bonus. Here's the bonus application here. It says, for our light, for, excuse me, for your benefit, Let me say it again, verse 15. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. All this, all what? All these trials, all this adversity is for your benefit, so that, in order that, the grace that is reaching more and more people. See, Paul is being spent as a worship offering. And you know what's happening? The gospel is spreading. More and more people are coming to know Christ. And even they're hearing about maybe some of these things that this crazy enemy of the gospel, who Jesus has turned around and made him his ambassador, his apostle for the gospel, it is drawing more and more men to himself, more and more women to himself. And they are experiencing the grace that Christ is for them. And you know what's resulting? Thanksgiving. May cause thanksgiving to overflow. And you know what happens after that? Glory to God. Glory to God. I love our Thanksgiving service. You know why I love it? Not because not just because I get to hear a little more more about what God is doing, but because God gets glory when we hear the story of how He's been faithful to you, to me, throughout this time. And that's what's going on here. So here's my point. It matters how we go through trials. Because people are watching. People are watching That prison guard was watching Corey Ten Boom. 
and eventually got the courage to come and ask her forgiveness, even as he put his faith in Christ. It matters, whether it's long-suffering or a momentary sacrifice. I think of the Alka Five. If you're familiar with who Jim Elliott was and the people that were trying to reach the trying to reach the Alka Indians in the in Ecuadorian forests, rainforests, an unreached people. And they knew they were a warrior type of people, and they landed their plane on the, the river there in the Amazon, got out on the sandbar to try and meet these people, and they were armed. They had weapons. They could have fought back. But the Alka Indians, in fear, slayed them killed them. But the fact that they didn't fight back, the fact that they did not try and resist or fight their, their slayers opened up a door for their wives to come in and move into that tribe and the gospel for grace to abound. For thanksgiving to take place and for glory to come to the living God. Folks, it matters. It matters how you go through trials. And that doesn't mean you can't be real with people. But ultimately, our our faith has to be, God is doing something greater than I can see. And maybe you won't see it on on the side of heaven. But God is at work. Last of all, In Jesus, our visible temporary troubles will be far outweighed by our coming eternal glory. Verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. These verses say exactly what you think they are saying. We don't lose heart. We don't lose hope when we're experiencing troubles and adversity. In our flesh, that's what we want to do. We want to cash it in. But there's no God is at work here. And yes, our outward bodies are decaying. This world is falling apart. As we get older, it ain't going to get any better physically, folks. That's just the reality. But the inward truth is that we're one more more day closer to glory. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. We are can have joy. And we can be more and more in love with Christ. Yes, we're going to experience troubles, trials, even sorrows and loss. But in light of the glory of the reward that we will receive and the eternity we are going to experience, these troubles will appear to us as light and merely temporary. Something that we had to suffer, for, suffer through for a temporary moment. 
It's like a tetanus shot. You don't enjoy it going in your arm, but you know it's going to bring benefit. And so you're willing to endure that from an eternal perspective. And it's going to bring an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Literally, surpassing to surpassing an eternal weight of glory. I suspect Paul was using the Hebrew understanding of glory. The word for glory in Hebrew is kavod, which means glory, but it also means weighty. It's weighty and substantial. And this is what we are talking about. A weighty glory that's so much more substantial than what you or I are going through right now. And listen, folks, I don't want to minimize any challenges or trials you're going through right now. I just want you to know that God has a greater perspective for us. And there is hope. And this is not all there is. And we need to have that perspective as we go through those things. That God has something greater for me, for you. He wants us to have the right perspective. And it's not here yet. We're living in the now, but not yet. But he wants us to have our eyes fixed on the right place. Because it's so easy to look at the things that are visible, right? He thinks that is the, that's the ultimate reality. It's not. It's the unseen things that are going to be fully brought to fruition when he comes. And those things that we see, they're not going to last. They're temporary. But those things we can't see, they are eternal. They are weighty. They are lasting. What a great thing to lean into for you, for me, as we experience troubles and adversity. It is a stubborn, steadfast gaze at what God has for us. Not focusing on the visible what he has promised and it is invisible a glory that far outweighs them all that is everlasting I don't know what you're going through today maybe you feel like you are being pressured on every side and you're about to be crushed maybe you're perplexed and you're going I don't get it God this doesn't make sense. Maybe you feel like you're being persecuted. This is not fair. Maybe you feel like you've received the knockout blow. But God says, no, I've got you in all this. You're not knocked out. You're not... <laughs> There's going to be a reason you're going to see it. I will, I will sustain you. I'll support you. And I'm bringing to you something greater than you can ever ask or imagine. Will you trust me? Will you know that one day you'll look back from eternity and go, oh, man, I wish I hadn't stressed over this 
I wish I hadn't given so much worry to this. I'm going to end with this last uh, quote from Corey Ten Boom. Worry does not relieve tomorrow of its sorrow, but it robs today of its strength. And God ultimately has our tomorrow if you're in Christ. So I hope you'll cling to that today, to that hope. It's our custom here at the Breen 